following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and go put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, am I a redeemer? Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her that the man, all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You may not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Uh, Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, So far in 2020, the Tennessee Vols have won a bowl game, and the Titans beat the Patriots. So anything can happen. Um, And I'm glad both those things are true. Um, This morning, uh, my name is Ben, by the way. Uh, I'm on staff here at Restoration. If I don't know you, I would love to know you. And if you don't know Jared, Jared would love to know you. So um, find us afterwards. Uh, again, it's said often, but this is a new place. And so uh, if you feel like you are on the outside and looking in on the inside, that's just not true because this is all uh, level ground for us all. So we are glad that you're here this morning with us. Uh, we uh, studied Ruth 1 and 2 around Thanksgiving. Then we started our Advent series. And Isaiah 9, where we looked at the four names of Jesus. And then last week, we looked at uh, Psalm 20, as we ended 2019. So we're going to study Ruth 3 today, Ruth 4 next week, and the week after that, we're doing Hebrews. So uh, 
you know now what the itinerary is. Uh, you don't have to memorize it, but that is what is ahead. And so um, this morning we'll see in Ruth 3 there's a risky pursuit of a redeemer uh, for Ruth and Naomi. Um, and again, we are picking up midway through this book. So um, let's just take a second and remember where we are. Uh, Ruth and Naomi are, are in uh, of the land of Bethlehem. But before that, the book of Ruth begins with this first verse. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So, um, there are some bells that are ringing in this first verse of this book. Um, first of which is, in the days when the judges ruled. This uh, rings bells because this was a terrible time. Uh, this, uh, the book of Judges is a laundry list of people messing up in Israel. There was no kings, and there was judges, and they messed up time after time after time. It was chaos. And then just after that, it says there was a famine. Not, the, not only was there chaos because of who ruled, but there was a famine. There was no food. And there's a man in Bethlehem amidst this famine. And Bethlehem means, it translates to, the house of bread. So there's a man in the house of bread in this city with no food at all. And so there's chaos. There's no food. And so this man named Elimelech goes with his wife and his two sons to Moab, a place that um, is a stench in the nose of the Israelites. That is to say, they're kind of the bad guys. Right? They're not that great. There's always tension between Moabites and Israelites. And they go to find a, a fortune and food in Moab. And they go. And when they get there, uh, Elimelech dies. Right? The husband, the patriarch of this family dies. And so Naomi is left with her two sons. And her two sons marry two Moabite women by the names of Orpah and Ruth. And after 10 years in Moab, those two sons die. So what you have is a widow from Israel and two widows from Moab. And so Ruth says uh, to her two daughter-in-laws who are just recently widowed, I am going back to Israel, my homeland. You are from Moab. You can stay because I've heard that there's food in Israel here. And the two daughter-in-laws say, no, we'll come with you. And she says, really, you don't have to come. You are young. Go marry and find a new land and, and a new family. And one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, says, okay, I'm out. Um, and Ruth says to her the famous lines of, your people will be my people. I'm staying with you. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And where you die, I will die because I'm so connected with you. I'm committing myself to you. And so they go back to Israel and they go back to Bethlehem. And they find themselves in a land that they're familiar with. They have no husbands, no food. And there was an ethical law in Israel at that time, which was gleaning, which is where um, when the farmers would harvest their food, they would leave food on the outskirts of uh, their, their property, on the boundary and the border of their property, so that the people who were poor and homeless and widows and orphans could get food, right? They had margin in their economy for the people who were forgotten. And so one day, Naomi tells Ruth, Ruth, go and glean, which is equivalent to saying, go and beg for food, find food, dig for food. And she finds this person in the field named Boaz. And Boaz, his eye is caught by Ruth. And Boaz takes a liking to Ruth because she's beautiful, and also she's a widow. 
desperate need. And so Boaz gives a lot of food to Ruth. Ruth goes back to Naomi and says, I found this guy named Boaz and he gave me a lot of food. And that's where we are. All right, so we can all take a deep breath. Okay. And here we are in Ruth 3. Uh, 2003, a man named Aaron Ralston was hiking in Utah. He was hiking in the desert and canyoneering, and he was going down this ravine. It's a famous story. I'm sure you have heard of it at some point. But he was rappelling down this ravine, and all of a sudden a suspect boulder, 800 pounds, fell, pinned his arm against the wall, and he was stuck. And so for five days, he rationed his food and his water and tried to calculate how is he going to get out of this cave where he is pinned between an 800-pound rock and the wall, literally between a rock and a hard place. And finally, he cuts his arm off. He rappels down 65 feet. He runs six miles. He finds a family, calls the, the, the hospital, gets an air, airlift to the hospital, and flies to safe. This person is famous. He's, he's on the 2003 uh, GQ People of the Year and, and also Vanity Fair's People of the Year. But what he says about those five days when he is pinned, calculating it, and, and uh, thinking, my life is done for. I've told no one I'm here. I'm going to rot in this cave. He says of that five days, that crucible, he says, I stepped out of my grave and into my life again. He said he had hope because he had a vision of his future family, his future kids. And in that vision, he had one arm. And he said, I stepped out of my grave and into my life again. For Ruth and Naomi, they need that very thing. Because as widows in that day, they had no prospect. They had no home, no food. And surely you don't think long enough in your own life to think of there are prospects in your life that aren't that bountiful. There are things in your life that scream for redemption, that actually uh, smell more like decay than life itself. And you yourself, in some part, large or small, need to come out of the grave and into life again. And we'll see that this morning in Ruth 3. Let's pray as we go and study God's Word. Lord, it is a strange story uh, indeed. And even in our day, it seems so alien and different. Lord, you know you are a God who works in such odd, peculiar, even doubtful situations. And so, we see it here in Naomi and Ruth's life. Many of us that need that to be true in our life, Lord. Holy Spirit, come be with us as we study your words so that we may experience that. Say this in your name. Amen. So the first thing, Rollin did a wonderful job reading. She said to me before uh, she came up, she said, what is this, uh, what is these verses about? And I said, exactly. And so, um, in this story, we see the first idea, and it's this idea of uh, the plan of pursuit, the plan of pursuit. And Naomi hears that Ruth has come back from experiencing and being with Boaz, and Boaz is someone who can redeem them. 
Boaz is someone who, who can be an option for Ruth to marry. And so, therefore, Naomi goes into uh, matchmaking mode. She, she makes this plan for Ruth and Boaz to get together. Now, if you think back in the first chapter of this book, uh, Naomi has lost her husband. Naomi has lost her two sons. She's just lost her daughter-in-law. She's come back to a land she's been gone from for over a decade. And they say to her, are, are you Naomi? And Naomi says to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. It's someone who is not skirting around or minimizing or avoiding the pain in her life. I love her boldness. She's saying, God has dealt bitterly with me. And here I am. I've lost my two sons, my husband, and I'm a widow in, in a culture, in the time, and in the land where it's really hard to be a widow. And that's all I have because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Bitterly with me, and my story is longing for something to happen. So she is stewarding her brokenness well and her story well, and being honest about it. Because life has not turned out the way she wants it to be and thought it would be. And certainly that's true with us. Certainly it's common in our day that you might go to college and independence is good, but not as fulfilling as you thought it would be. You graduate, and they tell you this world that you're about to enter is an oyster, and it's actually really disorienting. And you get a job, and you think this is going to be fulfilling, and actually it's just a paycheck, and sometimes it's not even that big of a paycheck. And you get married to the spouse, and it's really extremely difficult sometimes. Or maybe you long to be married to a spouse, and it's just not the way it's happened. Maybe you've lost children, sons and daughters. You don't have the sons and daughters that you need. This is the story of Ruth. And she is stewarding it with honesty. Because it hasn't gone the way she would want it to be. But at the same time, in this scene, she has not lost hope of redemption coming. Which is why she contrives this plan of pursuing a redeemer. She is uh, pursuing uh, Boaz as this kinsman redeemer, which is a word we'd never, ever, ever use, which means kinsman, kind of family, redeemer, redemption. In that day, when a husband died, or you lost the, the, the patriarch of the family, someone else in the family would marry that person so that they wouldn't be left out and pushed aside and forgotten about and, and widowed and orphaned. So that they would be secure. And all the wrongs would be righted. And so, Naomi sees Boaz as a possibility to be the kinsman redeemer for them. And she says, here's the plan, Ruth. My daughter-in-law, she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with those two young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight. At the threshing floor, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. The bachelor starts tomorrow. 
This is a scene out of that. This is something so strange and so uh, abnormal. But what it is, is Ruth saying, go to this man who you have caught his eye and get his attention and say, I want you to redeem me. The brokenness of my life can be met. The wrongs can be righted if you intervene. Ruth goes to Boaz so that there may be redemption, and it's done in a very risky way. Right? She's going to uh, the, win- or the winnowing floor, the threshing floor, which is uh, lost in our language, but uh, it's where uh, barley was separated and kind of the process of, of producing barley. And it's pretty much uh, full of ranch hands. Right? Anything could happen. And if this goes wrong, uh, it ends very, very poorly for Ruth. Very poorly. And yet, Naomi says, there is obviously an orchestration of events. Yes, I was called Mara, but yes, there is an orchestration of events that is so obvious that we must act in the way so that redemption may take place. Doing something with the cards that have been dealt is a way that reveals what was sought. That is to say, uh, pain is very particular of our lives. It's very specific and it's very unique. Right? The tapestry of your life is utterly uh, for you. And yet, here, Naomi is acting as if redemption is still a possibility. And what I would uh, humbly suggest, not at all to douse or put away or minimize pain, but to say what action is required of you as providence is taking place. Naomi is telling Ruth, go and have uh, pursue the Redeemer. Act. Naomi doesn't ignore what the Lord is up to, and therefore she tells her daughter-in-law, go to Boaz, because he can redeem us widows. The hard beauty of pain is that it pushes us somewhere. Where are you being asked to do something as God is up to something? Again, not to make light of anything done to you or you have done, but simply to say, as providence takes place, what particularly is being asked of you? Maybe to be patient, maybe to be proactive, maybe to be gentle or generous, whatever it may be. So here in the story, there's a pursuit of redemption by Naomi. But we also see uh, there's a pregnant response of promise. Uh, following this pursuit. Uh, and Ruth comes to Boaz and, and asks Boaz to be this redeemer. Right? She does exactly what Naomi has asked of her. And let's look at this situation in Boaz's eyes. He's wealthy. He's affluent. He's had this great harvest of barley after uh, years and years of famine. And he's had a great day, productive. He goes and he's eaten, he's drinking, he's laying down tired. And all of a sudden, a beautiful, attractive, um, aroma-pleasing woman comes to him and just takes the sheet off of his feet to get his attention. And he wakes up and he sees her. Again, very much so bachelor-esque stuff. And uh, he says to her, who are you? Now, in our day and age, 
if this was to take place, if a wealthy, affluent person was met in the night by a woman who is beautiful, but yet asking for a life-altering favor, we know what would happen. Because it's not just front-page news kind of stuff, it's everyday news kind of stuff. That the powerful use and abuse the powerless. That the beautiful are used and abused by those who want their beauty. And yet, Boaz, as someone who is full of power, says to this woman, who are you? And she says this to him. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he doesn't say to this woman, who's asking a great deal of her, he doesn't say, uh, I'm going to use you for a one-night stand, or I'm going to use you to meet my pleasure. He doesn't say, he doesn't pull the spiritual card and say, well, you haven't been a Christian or uh, a follower of God long enough, so I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to uh, take you in as a, as a redeemer. And in that day, if you left Israel and your husband died out of country, you forfeited your right to be redeemed. He doesn't pull that card. He doesn't say, well, I don't have to redeem you. What he says is this. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you as you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman who is worthy. He doesn't use her. Instead, he displays a desire to make her great. He commits himself to her in a way that elevates her. From a status of a widow to a status of someone of great honor. Someone who is worthy. He goes on to say, And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. That is to say, I am committed to your welfare so much that I want to redeem you. But in that day, he was a far-off relative. And there were relatives closer who could redeem her. And he cares for her so much, he says, even if I'm not going to redeem you, I care for you so much that if someone else redeems you, good. If someone else makes you not a widow, makes you not homeless, makes you not hungry, good, because I care for you that much. That is who he is saying her to be, someone of dignity and honor, not being used and abused. He commits himself to her with no remorse. Fifteen years ago, uh, my in-laws took a trip to New York uh, like they would often. And they would go uh, to a Broadway show and they would see uh, this Matisse exhibit at the Met. And they would go to Yankees game and do the New York thing. Um, and they told my oldest brother-in-law, I wasn't in the picture yet, but they told my oldest brother-in-law, you are dating someone. You've been dating this girl for a few months. Um, so if you pay her way to get up there, if you pay her flight, she can come. She can stay with, with us as a family. I said, this is great. I'm in New York, my family, my girlfriend, this is going to be great. So he goes and he buys the plane ticket and he says, he clicks purchase. 
then he said he realized, what have I done? I don't even like this girl. And now she's going to New York with my family. So you can imagine how awkward it was when she came on the trip after they had broken up just after he clicked purchase. It's brutal. He had this buyer's remorse, and he's saying, once he committed to it, he realized, what in the world have I done? And Boaz to Ruth commits himself to it only to say, I love you so much that even if someone else redeems you, that's okay. Because my love for you is so, so great. Frederick Nietzsche said, hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. Once any kind of commitment from us to God takes place, there can be a buyer's remorse in us. This idea that actually following Jesus is not really worth it. It's more of a straitjacket. It's more repressive of my emotions. It tells me that I have to do things and I, and I can't do things. It's maybe naive and childish. Maybe I just don't need him like I did way back when. Because life's going okay now. Or maybe it's the flip-flop. It's the reverse of God has committed himself to me, but actually, surely what I've done, what marks my story and what, what I've done to others and myself is way too far for the arm of God to reach me. Way too ugly for God to love as damaged goods that I am. A buyer's remorse. So, I would ask the question, what have you been promised that changes everything? For Ruth, she was promised by Boaz that she will be redeemed. What of God as a redeemer has he promised you that changes everything? Hope is a very scary thing. Hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. And yet we see in this story, even as complicated and, and strange as it is, we see that there is proof of the promise, which is this last thing we'll look at. The proof, uh, promise with proof. Ruth is promised redemption by Boaz. And Boaz gives her six measures of barley, which, again, is a lot of stuff. But what it is is essentially a truckload. If he said, here is six measures of barley, she would have said, you can't really expect me to carry that. It's so much. But the idea is, Take this because this is a down payment of what I have promised to do in redeeming you. So he takes it, she takes it home. She goes to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law says, how'd it go? How did you fare? And her mother-in-law, after seeing the six measures of barley, says this. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until the matter, but will settle the matter today. Ruth is told she will be redeemed. And what plagued her and her mother-in-law as two widows who had no husbands, had no home, had no food, what question plagued them was, 
who will be our kinsman redeemer? Right? Who is going to take the crap of our life and actually make it something? And yet, this morning, maybe you have no idea how that will happen for you. Because the question that might plague us is, who will redeem the things in our lives? In our worlds? In this world? Who is going to make sense of that? The things that we do that we hate to do when we feel like make us unlovable and damaged goods. The things that we hear when we look in the mirror. The things that we hear when we look at other people. The things that make us disqualified from God's redeeming grace. Who's going to deal with that? Who will fix the things that plague us? That won't make us scream for redemption? In Revelation 5, John sees how the whole world ends up in a vision. And he says he sees God on this throne holding this scroll. It was mentioned a few weeks ago. But John sees how God is holding the scroll, and the scroll is pretty much all of human history. Every part of you, every part of me, every part of this world. And he hears an angel say, Who is worthy to break the seal of the scroll? open it, which means who can take all of this and hold it and make sense of it and orchestrate it and make it okay? Who can do that? And this is what John says in Revelation 5. He said, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Ruth and Naomi, in their station of life, need redemption. They need a kinsman redeemer, and they have proof. His six measures of barley. In our station of life, we need redemption that is so deep that it actually takes a person's life. Because the life and the death and the resurrection and the place of Jesus now as the one who opens the scroll says something about the messiness and the brokenness of your world and my world and of our world. Because it says this. It says, I can take it. Boaz taking on Ruth and Naomi was saying, your mess is not too messy for me. And for us, we have a better, a better Boaz and a better Redeemer because he says, your mess is not too messy. Your weight is not too weighty. The things that are in this scroll are not too much for me. Because just as Boaz gives them a new life, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to step out of my grave into a new life. Therefore, you can step out of your grave and you can step into a new life. The redemption that he brings as the kinsman redeemer, because he is one of us, is something so deep and so calculated that it meets our very brokenness. So what do we do? Ruth is told to go to Boaz and, and 
say to him, I need you to be my redeemer. In fact, Boaz asks her, who are you? And Ruth says, I'm your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. My humble suggestion this morning, a thing that I know that I myself need, is this. How much time and how much of your heart have you spent at the feet of Jesus so that when he asks you, who are you, you say to him, I am yours. Spread your wings over me and be my redeemer because I know the messiness of my life is not too much for you to deal with and for your Holy Spirit to transform so that I can experience now a life that comes out of a grave. Because you have come out of the grave and kissed. Let's pray. Lord, when Naomi heard that Boaz was going to redeem Ruth, Naomi said, God will not rest until this matter is settled. And so, as we wait for redemption in particular items, we can have a hope that is indeed dangerous, but is indeed full, because we know you will not rest until this matter is settled. We know you are a God who works. When things are too great for us, we know you are a Redeemer that is so profound we can sit at your feet and say, we are yours. Spread your wings over us. Redeem us. Because this life and the pains of it are not too great. Loss and sorrow, pain, grief, cancer, decay, death, Alzheimer's, depression, decay, abandonment, Whatever it may be, it is not too great for the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And so, Lord, speak that truth to us today, we pray.